Part three, chapter twenty three of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Binion and Malevsky. Part three, chapter twenty three. During Nero's reign, evening exhibitions in the circus and amphitheatre had been common. Before that time, exhibitions at night were rare. They were popular among the Augustales, because they were often followed by feasts and revels which lasted until the morning. Though the people had had enough of bloodshed, still when the news was spread that the end of the games was approaching, and that the last of the Christians were to expire during the night performance, great crowds filled the amphitheatre. The Augustales appeared in a body, for they understood that this would be an unusual performance, and they knew that Caesar had determined to make a tragic show of the agony of Vinicius. Tigellinus had not betrayed what kind of torture was intended for the bride of the young tribune, but this only increased the general curiosity. Those who had seen Lygia at the house of Plautius extolled her beauty to the skies. Others were mainly concerned with the question as to whether they would really see her in the arena that night, because many of those who had heard the reply of Caesar to Petronius gave it a double meaning. Some believed that Nero would deliver, or perhaps had already delivered, the maiden to Vinicius. They remembered that she was a hostage, and hence could worship any god she pleased, and that the law of nations did not allow her to be punished. Uncertainty, expectation, and curiosity possessed all the spectators. Caesar arrived earlier than usual. Immediately on his coming conjectures were whispered about that something unusual would happen, for beside Tigellinus and Vinicius, Caesar had with him Cassius, a centurion of enormous size and strength, whom Caesar took with him only when he needed a defender, for instance, on his night escapades to the Sabora. Here he enjoyed an amusement called Sagatio, which consisted in tossing on a soldier's cloak every maiden he met on his way. It was noted also that precautions had been taken in the amphitheatre itself. The Praetorian guards were increased, and they were commanded not by a centurion, but by the tribune Subrius Flavius, known for his blind attachment to Nero. It was generally understood that Caesar wished in any case to secure himself against an outburst of despair from Vinicius, and this added to the interest. All eyes were turned upon the seat occupied by the unfortunate lover. He was very pale, and his forehead was covered with perspiration. He was uncertain as to Lygia's fate, as were the other spectators, but also he was alarmed to the very depths of his soul. Petronius, ignorant himself of what would happen, said nothing to him, except that when he had returned from Nerva's banquet, he had asked Vinicius whether he was prepared for everything, and then whether he would be present at the performance. To both questions Vinicius answered yes, but a shudder passed through him, because he surmised that Petronius did not ask these questions without reason. For some time he had been only half alive, he had been sunk in death, and had consented to Lygia's death, since for both it was to be a deliverance and a marriage. But now he realized that it is one thing to meditate over the last moment as if it were to be a calm falling into sleep, and another to behold the agonies of a person dearer than life to him. All his former anguish came back again. The despair which he had repressed began again to cry in his soul. He felt again the old desire to save Lygia at any price. 
in the morning he had tried to get into the prison to be sure that she was there but the praetorian guards watched all the entrances and the orders were so strict that even the soldiers whom vinitius knew personally could not be moved by entreaties or bribes it seemed to vinitius that uncertainty would kill him before the spectacle came off in his heart there still lingered a faint hope that lygia was not in the amphitheatre and that his fears were groundless at times he clung to this hope with all his strength he thought to himself that christ might have taken her to himself from the prison he only knew that he could not bear to witness her agony in the circus formerly he had submitted in everything to the divine will but now when repulsed from the doors of the prison he returned to his seat in the amphitheatre from the curious eyes directed towards him he inferred that the most terrible conjectures might prove true and in his soul he implored help with a passion that resembled a menace thou canst he repeated clenching his fist convulsively thou canst he had not realized heretofore that this moment would be so terrible now his mind was clouded and he felt that if he should see lygia tortured his love for god would change into hatred and his faith into despair he was terror-stricken at the same time for he feared to offend christ whom he was imploring for mercy and miracles he asked no longer for her life but only that she might die before being led into the arena with unspeakable anguish he repeated in his heart refuse me not this one request and i will love thee more than i have hitherto loved thee then his thoughts raged like waves tossed about by a hurricane a desire for blood and vengeance arose in him he was seized with a mad desire to swoop down upon caesar and choke him in the presence of all the spectators but he felt this desire was an offence against christ and his command at times flashes of hope whirled through his brain that an almighty and merciful hand would turn away all that his soul feared but these hopes vanished before his overwhelming despair as he thought that he who could destroy this circus with a word and save lygia had abandoned her though she trusted in him and loved him with all her pure heart and he thought moreover that she was lying in the dark dungeon weak defenceless deserted dependent upon the mercy of the brutal guards drawing perhaps her last breath while he had to wait in that horrible amphitheatre not knowing what torture was destined for her or what the next moment might bring forth finally like a man who falling down a precipice grasps at everything that grows on the edge of it so did he grasp frantically at the thought that faith alone could save her this means alone was left peter had said that faith could move the earth to its very foundations therefore he concentrated his thoughts hushed his misgivings and compressed his whole being into the sentence i believe and awaited a miracle as a cord stretched too tightly may break so he was broken by the strain a deathly pallor covered his face his body relaxed then he thought that his prayer had been heard and that he was dying he thought that lygia must have died and that christ was taking them both to himself the arena the white robes of the countless spectators the lights of innumerable lamps and torches all vanished from his sight his weakness did not last long in a moment he awoke or rather was awakened by a stamping of the expectant multitude thou art ill said petronius give orders that thou be taken home 
regardless of what caesar would say he rose to support vinitius and leave with him his heart was full of compassion moreover he was vexed beyond endurance by the fact that caesar was gazing through the emerald at vinitius and studying his agony with satisfaction perhaps in order to describe it afterwards in pathetic verses and gain the applause of an audience but vinitius shook his head he might die in the amphitheatre but he could not leave it moreover the spectacle might begin at any moment indeed at that instant the prefect of the city waved a red handkerchief upon this signal the hinges of the doors opposite caesar's box creaked and out of the dark chasm came ursus into the brightly illuminated arena the giant blinked evidently dazzled by the brightness of the arena then he moved towards the centre looking about as if to see what he had to encounter all the augustales and most of the spectators knew that this was the man who had strangled croto hence at his appearance murmurs arose from all the benches there was no lack of gladiators in rome larger in stature than ordinary men but roman eyes had never seen the like of ursus cassius who stood by caesar appeared puny in comparison senators vestals caesar the augustales and the people gazed with the delight of experts at his powerful limbs like the trunks of trees at his breast which seemed like two joined shields at his herculean arms the murmurs grew louder at every moment for the multitudes there could not be any greater pleasure than to see those muscles play in the exertion of struggle the murmurs changed to shouts and to eager questionings where live the tribes who produce such giants ursus stood there in the middle of the amphitheatre naked resembling a stone colossus rather than a man calm collected yet at the same time with the melancholy of a barbarian looking about the empty arena he fixed his blue eyes in wonderment now on the spectators now on caesar now on the grating of the dungeons whence he expected his executioners at the moment when he stepped into the arena his simple heart was throbbing with the hope that death on the cross was awaiting him but when he saw neither a cross nor a pit he thought that he did not deserve such favor and that he would have to perish in some other way most probably from wild beasts he was unarmed and had resolved to die as became a follower of the lamb peacefully and patiently meanwhile he wished to pray to the saviour so kneeling in the arena he joined his hands and raised his eyes to the stars which twinkled above the lofty opening on the arena this attitude displeased the crowds they had had enough of those christians who died like sheep they understood that should the giant refuse to defend himself the spectacle would be a failure here and there hisses arose some cried for the scourgers whose office it was to chastise combatants who refused to fight but silence soon followed for no one knew what awaited the giant nor whether he would not be ready to fight when he looked death in the face indeed they had not long to wait suddenly a deafening noise of trumpets arose and at this signal a grating opened opposite the imperial box and into the arena rushed amid the shouts of the people an enormous german bull bearing on his horns the naked body of a woman lygia lygia cried vinitius then he seized his hair near the temples writhed like a man wounded by a spear and in a hoarse voice cried out i believe i believe grant a miracle o christ he was not aware that petronius at that moment covered his head with a toga he thought that death or agony had covered his eyes he did not look 
he did not see a feeling of awful emptiness seized him no thought remained in his head only his lips repeated as if in delirium i believe i believe suddenly the amphitheatre was hushed the augustales rose in their seats as one man for something uncommon had happened in the arena the lygian humble and ready to die seeing his princess on the horns of the wild beast sprang up as if burned by fire and bending forward rushed towards the frenzied animal cries of astonishment were heard on all sides the lygian overtook in a twinkling the raging bull and seized him by the horns look cried petronius unveiling the head of vinitius vinitius raised his face pale as a sheet and he looked at the arena with a glassy vacant stare every one held his breath in the amphitheatre a fly might have been heard people could not believe their own eyes never before was seen anything like this the lygian held the wild beast by the horns his feet were buried in the sand to his ankles his back was bent like a bow his head was hidden between his shoulders the muscles swelled on his arms so that the skin seemed to crack from the pressure but he stopped the bull on the spot the man and the brute remained so motionless that the spectators seemed to look at a picture representing a deed of hercules or theseus or a group cut in stone but in that apparent repose was evident the terrible exertion of two struggling forces the bull as well as the man sank his feet deep into the sand and his dark shaggy body was so curved that it resembled a huge ball which would first be exhausted which first would yield this was the question which at the moment was of greater importance to the spectators than their own fate than that of rome and its rule over the world the lygian in their eyes was a demigod worthy of admiration and statues caesar himself arose he and tigellinus hearing of the strength of this man had purposely prepared the spectacle and laughing to each other had said let the slayer of croto vanquish the bull chosen by us but now they looked with amazement at the picture before them hardly believing that it could be real there were some of the spectators who had raised their arms and remained in this attitude sweat poured down the faces of others as if they themselves were struggling with the animal in the circus nothing was heard save the hiss of the flames in the lamps and the crackle of the torches words died in the throats of the spectators but their hearts beat against their breasts as if to split them it seemed to all that the struggle was lasting for ages but the man and the brute continued motionless in their terrible struggle they seemed rooted in the earth suddenly there reverberated through the arena a muffled roar and then a shout arose from the spectators and then again silence fell the people saw as in a dream that the monstrous head of the bull was twisting around in the iron grasp of the barbarian the lygian's face neck and arms grew purple his back curved still more he was evidently rallying the rest of his superhuman strength but he could not stand the strain much longer gradually the groans of the bull grew hoarser and duller and more painful as they mingled with the whistling breath of the giant the head of the brute was twisted more and more a long foaming tongue protruded from its muzzle next instant the crack of breaking bones reached the ears of the nearest spectators then the beast sunk to the earth with a broken neck 
in a twinkling the giant slipped the cords from the horns of the bull and panting raised the maiden in his arms his face had paled his hair was matted with sweat his arms and shoulders were wet as though with water for a moment he stood as if he were scarce conscious then he lifted his eyes and gazed around the amphitheatre the immense audience had gone wild the walls of the building trembled from the shouts of tens of thousands of spectators since the beginning of the games no such enthusiasm had ever been known those who occupied the higher tiers left them and crowded down the aisles between the seats in order to get a better view of the athlete from all sides came cries for mercy passionate and insistent which soon turned into one fierce roar the giant was now the darling of the people who above all things worshipped physical strength for the time he was the greatest personage in rome the Lygian understood that the mob were demanding his pardon and freedom, but his thoughts were not upon himself alone. For a time he looked about him, then he approached the imperial seat, and holding the maiden on his outstretched arms, he raised his eyes in supplication as if to say, Take pity on her, save her, for her sake this has been done. The spectators understood his desire. The sight of the fainting girl, a mere child in comparison with the gigantic Lygian, had its effect upon the crowd and the soldiers and senators. That slender figure, white as if cut from alabaster, her swooning condition, the awful peril from which the giant had rescued her, and finally her beauty, moved every heart. Some thought that the Lygian was a father begging mercy for his child pity burst forth like a flame enough of blood and death and tortures on every side arose entreaties for mercy from voices broken by sobs ursus still carrying the girl in his arms moved around the arena and by eye and gesture begged mercy for the girl then vinitius started up from his seat leaped over the barrier which separated the front seats from the arena and running to lygia threw his toga over her naked body then he rent the tunic on his breast and exposed the scars of wounds received in the armenian war and stretching his arms out towards the people the enthusiasm of the crowd now passed all bounds the mob stamped and howled voices demanding mercy grew terrible in their insistence people not only took the part of the athlete but rose in defense of the maiden and the soldier with flashing eyes and clenched fists thousands of spectators turned towards caesar he however demurred and hesitated he cherished no hatred for vinitius nor did he particularly desire the death of lygia yet it would have given him pleasure to see the body of the girl torn by the horns of the bull or the tusks of beasts his cruelty and his degenerate disposition found a strange delight in such sights and now the people wished to deprive him of one this thought angered him wrath burned red on his bloated face his self-love made it hard for him to yield to the will of the people on the other hand his cowardice prevented him from opposing it he looked around among the augustales to see if he could discover thumbs pointing downwards to give the verdict of death but petronius held up his hand and looked almost defiantly into caesar's face 
vestinius superstitious yet enthusiastic who feared ghosts but not the living also gave the sign for mercy so did scevinus the senator and nerva and tullius senecio and the famous warrior astorius scapula and antistius and pisovetus and crispinus and minucius thermus and pontius telesinus and most important of all thrasia who was adored by the people in view of this opposition caesar dropped the emerald from his eye with an expression of scornful indignation tigellinus who wished to spite petronius bent over him and said yield not o divine one we have the praetorians at our command nero turned to the place where subrius flavius stood in command over the praetorians he saw something which he little expected the face of the old tribune hitherto always devoted to him was now set and stern although bathed with tears and his hand was raised in sign of mercy meantime the masses had become enraged clouds of dust rose from beneath the stamping feet and filled the amphitheatre mingled with the shouts were heard cries ahenobarbus matricide incendiary nero became frightened in the circus the people were masters of the situation former caesars and especially caligula had ventured sometimes to withstand the popular will and the consequent disturbances sometimes ended in bloodshed nero's position was different not only as a comedian and a singer did he need the favor of the people but also as a bulwark against the senate and the patricians since the burning of rome he had striven to win it by all means and so had turned the anger of the people against the christians he understood that further opposition would be perilous a riot begun in the circus might spread over the city and produce incalculable results once more he looked at subrius flavius at scevinus the centurion a kinsman of the senator and the soldiers and seeing everywhere knitted brows and stern eyes fixed upon him he gave the sign for mercy then thunders of applause burst out and echoed from the highest to the lowest seats the people were now assured of the safety of the condemned ones from this moment they passed under their protection caesar himself would not dare to molest them further End of Part 3, Chapter 23